Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here. And All-Star Weekend is over. Three Knicks participated. None emerged victorious. Uh, so we'll talk about that. And then in honor of President's Day, we are going to do a draft of the worst Knicks presidents from 2000 onward. And go from worst to first. And you, you might be happy with the guy who's first. Next on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks. Your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. Right now. Starts with a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up, up left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. He's tough. And he's Anthony for three. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. We want to thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day, whether you're checking us out on your favorite podcast platform or taking in the sights and sounds on YouTube. We appreciate you making us part of your daily routine and if you haven't hit the subscribe button and the notification bell on YouTube already or the subscribe button and the auto download function on your favorite podcast app, make sure to do that so you never miss an episode because we are here five days a week, even on President's Day. I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Nick's site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. He's Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. And the All-Star Weekend just happened, Gavin. And it was, I mean, there was a surprisingly large amount of Knicks involvement. Uh, I kind of wish that in the end, Giannis had decided to just not play uh, so that Brunson could have gotten a all-star berth because he probably would have been the guy to slot into that extra East spot. But I'm not salty. Who's salty? I'm not. Uh, but the three Knicks did some stuff and that started with Quentin Grimes in the Rising Stars game. Yeah, Grimes was uh, fantastic. Uh, 27 points um, over the course of the two games. Um, shot it uh, super duper well. Uh, and just looked like, I mean, look, obviously part of it is that the defense just isn't going to be as intense, but he just looked so in control and at his own pace. I mean, finished 10 for 14, 6 for 10 from three-point range, and showed off really every aspect of his game. Like, like you really saw flashes of great athleticism. He had three dunks over the course of the two games, including one lob dunk in transition, had a really nice backdoor cut um, where he got the dimed up by uh, Josh Giddy uh, for the jam. I'd love to see him in Brunson uh, do that action a little bit more. Like we see it every once in a while, but one or two of those a game would just, would just be golden. Um, but to me, the, the single biggest thing was um, just the rhythm he got in. And I think a big part of it was that he just slowed down a little bit, Alex. Like I, I've been, I've been harping on this for weeks with Quentin Grimes that especially in crunch time situations, he tends to really rush his shot, and it, it's so mechanically perfect. And he is such a high release and such easy elevation. Like he rarely is going to have a contest that is bothersome enough to force him to do that, and. I just want him to play at his own pace and shoot at his own pace because I, I think we're looking at a guy who who is a 40% three-point shooter. And I think um, now um, Nick's film school, Tom Piccolo, had this stat in the newsletter today. I think in the last nine games, he's at something 
around 29 or excuse me, 27 percent. But that, that's just not who Quinn Grimes is. And, and I mean, you can see the shooting talent in this game. The last shot he hit was a step back 30 footer. I mean, the guy is is just ridiculous. He won game one on a steal and a pull up three. Like he, he is a capital S shooter. And I, I just want him to be able to show that on a game to game basis, because I think him refining the stride and the rhythm he had when he first entered the next rotation at the beginning of this year can only elevate this team further. Yeah, for sure. And I, I feel like, look, I I'll go full disclosure. I didn't watch this event. I just caught the highlights later. So I'm, I'm basically totally off of that. Uh, but I th- it seemed to me like he was running more like summer league grimes to a degree, like was being trusted to sort of be more of a primary option, but also was playing really well off of Josh Giddy. Uh, I wonder to myself if Wally Zerbiak freaked out at any point and did his giddy, 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 giddy thing during the game. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> at any rate, yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, I think that hopefully this was a, a nice opportunity for him to kind of loosen up a little bit. He does seem like he's been, uh, particularly since the heart acquisition, maybe a little on edge you know maybe about playing time seems to be a consistent theme with the knicks that any guy that's under the age of like 25 has to kind of just sit on pins and needles at all times and you see them play a little a little high strung you know if they're worried about a veteran taking their minutes um i think maybe that's the case for grimes at the moment but he seemed pretty relaxed and and had some really impressive shot making albeit in a all-star game but also he suddenly in these games started getting the treatment of like he had Jose Alvarado, like climbing on his back, like for half the, half the, you know, last game or whatever. So, I mean, it seems like he did pretty well given the circumstances, considering he was the only guy that got like actual defensive attention in this game. Also pretty cool that he managed to be the standout guy on a team that is not entirely ghosts of Nick's past, but had a few like, he was on a team with Evan Mobley, Josh Giddy, uh, Jalen Williams on the Thunder, who was one of the guys that the Knicks could have drafted with their 11th pick this past year. Uh, Jeremy Sohan, Jabari Smith Jr., Jalen Duran, who obviously is extremely linked to the Knicks, and Tari Eason, another guy that they could have taken with that draft pick this past uh, this past year. So pretty interesting from that perspective that he was on that squad and managed to be the star of the show. Uh Moving on to the dunk contest, we had Jericho Sims in there against Mac McClung, who wound up winning it, Trey Murphy the third, and KJ Martin. I I watched this, so I, I met up with some of my Strickland pals, and we were watching this dunk contest. We didn't have audio, so I wasn't able to like follow along with what the the live like audio reaction was of the the people on the broadcast or whatever. But I thought Jericho got kind of robbed, honestly. Um, he had two dunks that I think people have become desensitized to because like you've seen the highlights of Vince Carter doing the cookie jar so many times that you're just like, Oh, that's an iconic dunk. But you know, now other guys have done it and whatever. It's not that impressive anymore. Except for the fact that Jericho Sims got both of his arms in to do a double cookie jar. And literally that requires you putting like your entire chest above the rim while you're dunking, which is absolutely insane. Uh, yes, he got the arm in at first, the left arm, it kind of slid out and then he had to like pop it back in. But also if you look at how his arms were, that looked incredibly uncomfortable. (laughs) So I don't, I'm happy that he let the arm pop out at first at risk of, I guess, like dislocating his shoulder or something. If he would have left it in there at first. Uh, but that was an extremely high degree of difficulty and stupid Carl Malone gave it like a 40 
43 or 44 or something, which dragged his overall score down to 47.6 across the judges. And then his second dunk somehow scored higher, but again was dragged down by Carl Malone, where he went all the way up to his elbow, or sorry, all the way up to his armpit in the the hoop and grabbed an envelope and then struggled opening it, but the envelope said 50 in it. I don't know. Uh, Gavin, I don't know if you watched the, the dunk contest or the dunks. I thought, I mean, Trey Murphy pulled out some pretty impressive stuff. I think that his one dunk was actually the best dunk of anybody, including Mac McClung. I thought McClung's dunks were a little overrated, but I thought Sims got robbed in the first round. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a huge dunk contest guy, but uh, I, he is a unique athlete for his size. There is something about six foot one guys doing it that like it just it, it's 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 a weird concept right because it's, it's never actually the best dunks right it, it's just sort of like all right like what kind of like tickled my brain the most when i saw it and i guess there's, there's something about uh short guys just flying through the air because I, i'm with you like i think having watched uh clips of it uh i would have given it to trey murphy if not uh jericho but uh three-point contest uh julius randall uh did not do great 13 points Somehow Kevin Herter got eight, which is crazy because that, <laughs> that guy is terrible. A, it was so he bad. A, he's a bonafide shooter. I don't, I don't know. Maybe he's just in his own head. But uh, you know what? Julius not finishing last in that field. Kind of an upset. I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. I mean, he also didn't finish his round. He was just too way too nonchalant about it. I mean, he got to the final rack. He had like seven seconds left. I was like, Julius, what are you doing? And then he just starts like winging the balls out in his final rack. It was It was not pretty. Um, but you know, his style of play isn't really made for a three point shooting contest. Evan Fournier put it best on Twitter. He was like, maybe they, you know, if, if they introduce one of these where you have to take two jab steps or, or a step back, yeah, yeah. Shoot three, <laughs> Julius would be in perfect shape, uh, and, yeah. and would probably win, but this just isn't his game. So, but it was fun seeing him in participate anyway. Speaking of being fun, seeing him participate, he was on team LeBron in the actual all-star game ended with 11 points, two rebounds, two assists. He, uh, my biggest takeaway was he wasn't the last pick in the draft. I was really, there was a part of me that worried that he was going to be the last pick in the all-star draft. And yet he was like LeBron's like fifth pick, I think. So he, he got pretty comfortably taken with like, I think five, six players left on the board still after him. So that was cool. Uh, otherwise in the game, didn't make too much of an impact. He kind of just was like under the hoop a lot and just happened to keep getting these like, guys would be like, oh, man, I tried to do some crazy crap, but it didn't work out. So I'm just going to feed it to Julius right under the, the hoop and he could just get the free points. Um, and that was pretty much his whole game. I don't know. He never got to bring the ball up I, to my memory. Uh, I don't. Did he take a three? I think he made one three. That's how he got to 11. I don't know. I don't remember. It wasn't it wasn't particularly memorable, but he's not really in like that. For one, I don't think he's in that top tier of guys that really get the opportunity to shine at the all-star game. But then also, I just don't think like he didn't really seem super interested in like doing what like Jason Tatum did or whatever. And just being like, I'm going to score like 50 points today just because I feel like it, he kind of seemed, I won't say disinterested, but not super into the all-star game. I mean, it was, that was, that was kind of 
universal to everyone in it, like basically yeah, outside of true. Tatum <laughs> and Dame. Oh, it's depressing, right? Because I don't know about yeah. you. I love the all-star game growing up. And I, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it's a big, big Bill Simmons thing, but I totally agree with it. Like the fourth quarters, like that is, that is a unique basketball viewing experience and that you, you, you don't even get this in the Olympics. Like where you, where you literally, I mean, maybe like those U S Spain years, you, you, you kind of got to that point, but, but the best players in the world, playing by NBA rules with an NBA ball, going as hard as they possibly can at each other. Like like the fourth quarter of the All-Star game is traditionally the one time you got that, and you really did get to see what the pecking order was out of the top ten. Like We can have those debates. We can have those conversations all we want, but you would you would get like how it, it – it was almost like Darwinism. Like you, you would you would get to see it play out, and it seemed like the Elam ending saved that for a few years, but maybe now that's become old hat – Maybe it was a little lackluster because arguably like the four faces of the NBA, like Steph, um, LeBron, Giannis um, were all out of the game. And I'm forgetting uh, who who my fourth is in that mix. Um, but um, <laughs> yeah, so maybe not the four, maybe the three faces of the NBA. Um, all, all those guys were out. Um, but it just, it felt like no one was really interested at the end. And, and to your point, like Randall, like he could have had 36 points, probably on 18 of 18 shooting because if Randall put his head down and gone to the rim to dunk every time, no one would have stopped him. But it becomes this awkward thing where like, if half the guys don't care, you look kind of bad for trying, especially if you don't make shots when you try. And that's why you get just dunks and threes because no one wants to like be going hard against air basically on national TV. And it was, it was kind of a, kind of a brutal uh, viewing experience for that reason. Yeah, and in the end, too, I guess, cautionary tale, LeBron ends up hurting his hand during the All-Star game and winds up having to sit out the second half. So I guess that's the cautionary tale oh, of going hard during yeah, the All-Star Kevin game. Durant is the, was the fourth person I was thinking of, by the way. Oh, yeah, Durant was out, too. Yeah, it was a pretty pretty yeah. brutal All-Star game this year. Uh, not, not Honestly, not a great All-Star weekend in general, too, even when you have, like, they the media tried so hard to get guys interested in the dunk contest. And, like, John Morant, Anthony Edwards last night during the broadcast, like all these guys just like, no, I'm never doing the dunk contest. It's like, great. So like nobody cares about this huge event that the NBA puts on. So like, why do they even put it on at this point? Like just hand out the awards and just be like, it's done. Like you get an all-star berth and that's it. Or find some new way to make it happen. Like make a three-on-three tournament or something. Like anything to make it more interesting at this point. If this is going to be how it's going to go. Anyway, Gavin, we have our own award to hand out. uh, Which I will pass off to you. Because we're going to give it to one of the players we just talked about. Yeah, a thrilling opportunity. We get to award Nissan's Most Electric Player of the Week. And it's brought to you by the all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria. And our player is Quentin Grimes uh, after drop. He, I mean, look, he, he was the lone Nick to have a monster performance this week with those 27 points. Um, I, I would I would describe his game as brilliantly fierce, right? Because you, you have that ag- like j- just in your face, aggressive style of defense. Um, but then there, there's also like this fierce elegance there, right? Like with how he rises up in traffic, doesn't really matter. Like he had Mac McClung on him one time, just, just put one right in his eye. Um, and, and then just the stunning power of him in transition on those dunks and, and the, the velocity and ferocity with which he, he rises to the rim. I, I, feel, I feel like I'm having a Clyde moment here, Alex, to, doing this ad. Um, but the point is the 2023 Nissan Aria packs pin-to-your-seat power and premium intelligence all-in-one EV. The all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria, the EV for people who love to drive. You can shop now at NissanUSA.com. 
All right, and with that, we are back on Locked on Knicks. Um, it is our first annual um, president slash GM draft on President's Day. Uh, Alex, this was this was your concept. Uh, I'm I'm, I'm going to gift you the first pick. We are going worst to first. So the idea is we are going to take the worst Knicks presidents over the last 25 years, and then we'll, we'll work our way up to the semi competent by the end. Yeah. So we start at the turn of the century as the as the starting point. We did choose to include Scott Layden as well, uh, who coincidentally is going to be my first pick. I, I thought it would be so much more fun to do worst to first than first to worst because. The lows are are fun to look back on now, now that the Knicks seem to be sort of on their way out of the doldrums finally. Uh, Scott Layton's my first pick. He was the Knicks GM from uh, August of 1999 to December of 2003. He took over after the 99 finals run, which I'm well on the record as being my first year of like Knicks fandom as a kid. I was nine years old at that time. So this guy basically ruined my childhood. Um, so... <laughs> So the good for Scott Layden, very short list, at least by my estimation. He signed Latrell Sprewell to an extension, which was a home run after the 99 finals run. And then he re-signed Kurt Thomas, which was also sort of a home run too. I mean, Kurt Thomas, Knicks legend. Uh, Then the bad. Pretty much everything else is bad. Uh, He drafted Frederick Weiss over Ron Artest in the 1999 draft, one of the most uh, notorious blunders in Knicks draft history. He traded Patrick Ewing for a bunch of guys that never played. Uh, and he also got back two firsts, except for then he rerouted one of them for Othella Harrington. That pick would become Jamal Tinsley eventually, who had a very long and productive NBA career. And he rerouted the other first-round pick for old, washed-up Mark Jackson and Muggsy Bogues, who would not play anything for the Knicks. So managed to make what by today's standards would be a great trade getting rid of Patrick Ewing uh, at that point in Ewing's career and everything, and yet then managed to squander it by trading the first-round picks for nothing. Uh, He signed Allen Houston to his giant $100 million deal, despite him being 30 and eventually having to retire uh, midway through the contract due to knee problems. Maybe a physical would have been helpful there before handing out a $100 million contract. He traded for Howard Isley and Shannon Anderson, uh, which was basically just a swap of role players, except for Isley and Anderson were from the jazz where he was previously and, or at least I think Isley was, but they were signed to these ridiculously long and expensive contracts that hamstrung the Knicks financially for a really long time. He also traded the draft rights to Nene, who again, long productive NBA career, uh, Marcus Camby, who was still a productive NBA player at the time. And Mark Jackson, who again, he had just gotten in uh, a prior deal, for Antonio McDice, who only managed to play 18 games for the Knicks, again, due to catastrophic knee problems. So, again, what was going on with the Knicks medical staff under Scott Layden? The world may never know. Uh, also took Mike, Mike Sweetney and Masij Lamp in the 2003 draft, one of the most loaded drafts of all times. The Knicks walk away with nothing. Uh, he traded Latrell Sprewell for Keith Van Horn, which there was some tension going on there with Sprewell about wanting a new contract and everything, which he refused to give him. Sprewell still went on to have some semi-productive years with the Timberwolves. Keith Van Horn didn't do much with the Knicks. And as his last uh, move to kind of hammer home how bad he was, he signed super old Dikemi Mutombo to a two-year deal as his last move with the Knicks. So Scott Layden, congrats, buddy. You are the worst GM of the last 20-something years for the Knicks, which is really saying something. 
It's 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 a golden accomplishment, man. It's gonna it's, it's gonna go down um, in, in in his personal uh, record books. Uh, I assumed with the second pick that I was going to be drafting Isaiah Thomas because he was kind of the bane of of my my initial run of Knicks fandom. Um, inexplicably trading first round picks um, like Yu Gi Oh cards at the playground, uh, but he he is not. Because as we're going to go over, um, purely purely in a basketball sense, he did some good stuff for the Knicks. Someone who did not do a lot of good stuff for the Knicks, uh, at least as a as a president slash GM, was Phil Jackson. Um, his tenure ran from March eighteenth, twenty fourteen, to June twenty eighth, twenty seventeen. Um, we'll start off with the good. Uh, he drafted Kristaps Porzingis. That was a uh, whatever whatever it turned into. Eventually, that was a fantastic pick. And in a world where, and and look, obviously this is something you, I mean, to your point on, on everything that was wrong with Scott Layden, this is something you have to take into account with player acquisition, but in a world where Porzingis does not deal with, with all the injuries and his body holds up and his athleticism holds up, I, I think you're looking at a, the, a top 10 player in the league. Like, I, I think that was the trajectory he was done. He was incredible at the start of his final season with the Knicks and his ability. I mean, I, even today, like where he's playing really well and, and, probably could have been in the mix for an all-star berth this year. Like that doesn't capture what the ceiling was there with his athleticism, shot making and size. And, and Phil recognized that when, when not a lot of other people, like certainly no one in the building that night who was, who was wearing blue and orange uh, really was cognizant of that. So give Phil all the credit in the world for that. Um, you noted this one that I almost forgot about that, that there was a trade on the table. Um, so th- this, this, this one could be good, but, uh, it's clearly transitioning us into bad. Um, kind of wanted to trade KP before it, that, that situation got to its nadir for Devin Booker and a pick that eventually became Josh Jackson, um, would have been, um, like we were, we were like kind of joking about it before, but like that would have, I think, erased everything bad that, that he did. If we, if the Knicks had somehow gotten Devin Booker early in his career, and you could easily say, all right, but the Knicks would have screwed Booker up. He wouldn't have been what he was in the Suns. The Suns have been just as bad as the Knicks, at least for, for the previous, um, from 2017 to um, the start of the 2020 season. Uh, so that would have been, uh, that, that would have made it up for everything, but whether because of pressure from other members of the front office, James Dolan, fans, including myself, who's, who uh, protested in front of MSG when that was on the table, um, didn't happen. Um, let's go over the bad now. Uh, the Joakim Noah contract. Uh, yikes. Uh, that, that one is uh, one of the worst contracts in NBA history. Um, the first Eric Rose deal um, to, to orchestrate um, the alleged Knicks super team. Uh, did not work out. Uh, D Rose was not who he was um, in his second tenure with the Knicks. Um, the Carmelo Anthony situation, where it, it's it's so interesting, Alex. I don't even really remember like the details of that, but I, I just in my mind it was this constant malaise with Melo, where you're like, oh, there's another story about how he's unhappy, and it, it kind of turned into like a tabloid melodrama. Uh, no pun intended. More than a basketball team at a certain point. Yeah, and Phil just continually needled and needled and needled. It was just like every time Phil got a mic in front of him, he threw a pot shot at Mello or someone else on the team. It was just like that was kind of his his thing. Um, we could also, I mean, real quick, the last things of Phil's thing, because I'm with you. I, I actually think I would take Phil over Isaiah too, as crazy as that is to say, because Isaiah was kind of the boogeyman of my, you know, mid-Knicks fandom as well. Uh, but alienated JR and Shumpert to the point of trading them for basically nothing. And, you know, JR was being stupid before he got traded. So, you know, that was, they kind of had to move on from him, but also like 
he did nothing to help these dudes values and then traded them for like again essentially nothing just to get them off the team had a horrible taste in head coaches uh had Derek Fisher Kurt Rambis and Jeff Hornacek were his three coaches that he employed all like Hornacek was the best and he was just like painfully mediocre that was the best you could possibly say about any of his head coach candidates and then <laughs> this is more a Dolan thing than a Phil thing but drafted like got to control the Knicks first round draft pick and draft a guy like three days before he got fired which is insane like they should have just made the decision before that so that's more on Dolan than than Phil but Gavin we'll take our our second break real quick and come back and things will start improving. We've we've already crossed the worst. Although, spoiler alert, Isaiah Thomas is coming up in just a second. So things aren't going to get that much better. But first, I got to remind everybody that today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. And if you're looking for a delicious treat, but you don't want all the fat and calories, you got to try a Built Bar. Hopefully, you're still keeping up with your New Year's resolution and staying fit and trim and eating healthy. I know I'm trying to do that, too. Uh, and Built Bars have helped a lot because they make me feel like I'm eating a candy bar. And it does not seem like I'm eating a protein bar. It's certainly not an unenjoyable experience like it is to eat so many other protein bars. I find myself craving built bars. Why is that? That's because they're covered in 100% real chocolate and they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, and coconut almond, my personal favorite. And the macros are fantastic. They have only 130 calories and four grams of sugar, but a whopping 17 grams of protein per bar. And the good news is now you don't have to wait around to get a box for years. We've been talking about ordering your built bars at built.com, but now you can also get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today, walk to the pharmacy section, and grab yourself a box of built bars. You pick up a four bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs. All fantastic choices. And if you're close to Sam's Club, run in and grab a 13-bar box with their hit flavors, brownie batter, and churro. You can thank me later. All right, we're back to continue our worst to first. Uh, Nick's president and GM draft to celebrate President's Day. Fun little, fun little nod to President's Day today, but a fun little nod to some of the worst parts of Nick's history of the last 20 something years. Cause again, now we can like gleefully look back at the bad times and be like, well, now things are so much better. Uh, my next one is I, a guy I can't believe made it to third to be completely honest, but also I'm with you. I think I actually, in retrospect, I dislike Phil more than I do this guy, Isaiah Thomas though. I mean, he can't possibly make it past this spot because he was just terrible. Uh, the good with him there was a surprising amount of good I found like the Marbury trade maybe was an overpay. Like it was a little ludicrous to give away a 2010 first round pick in 2003. Um, however, like, you know, even though that pick ended up being Gordon Hayward, like I think that was a good swing to take. Like Marbury was obviously at the peak of his talents at that time and put together some good performances for the Knicks. It was kind of just a fault of, Isaiah at that point, not giving him a good coach and not giving him good pieces around him. But like Marbury himself was actually quite good when they traded for him. So I thought that that was a worthwhile deal. He got Zach Randolph for washed up Steve Francis and Channing Fry, which like Zach Randolph had some of his own problems at the time as well. Like it just he and the Blazers were butting heads a lot and whatever. But that was from a pure value perspective, a really good trade. And we saw later on after Zach Randolph was gone from the Knicks that he still had a lot left in the tank and a lot to give to a, a good team 
he had a surprisingly good late draft record. He took David Lee at pick 30, Nate Robinson in the late 20s. He found Trevor Reza in the second round, only to stupidly trade him away later. Uh, Wilson Chandler in the late teens. So that was pretty, even though Wilson Chandler, a lot of people raised their eyebrows at, but he turned into quite a good player. Um, and then he traded a bunch of, of like just washed veterans for Jamal Crawford, which was kind of a coup too. Like Jamal Crawford was was a really good player and had some really good Dicks moments, but the bad far outweighs the good. Uh, Eddie Curry trade. He in that deal moved picks that would eventually become Lamarcus Aldridge and Joakim Noah for Eddie Curry. Also gave Eddie Curry a giant contract extension at the time too, which was up until the Joakim Noah contract, probably one of the worst deals in Knicks history. Uh, he had by far the highest payroll in the league for the Knicks in 2005 to 2006, yet they finished with the second worst record in the NBA. Spent huge money on Jared Jeffries and Jerome James, amongst others. He just had, like, like my take on Isaiah Thomas was he was a good talent evaluator that should have never had access to the checkbook because the guy just could not value players for anything. He stupidly traded Trevor Reza to the Magic for a washed-up Steve Francis we then eventually traded for a actually good Zach Randolph. So I guess maybe that comes out of watch, but still stupid to trade Ariza. Uh, he also didn't have a spotless draft record. Even if he had some hits, he used picks on Ronaldo Balkman, Marty Collins, number of other guys like that. And of course he had a very high profile sexual harassment case that dragged the Knicks into the news. And uh, yeah, that was not great. So all in all, I mean, maybe the sexual harassment thing should have dragged him below phil jackson in the end but we're trying to look at it mostly from a just a pure basketball perspective but he sucked he was not good and he also head coached for a little bit and that was terrible too there was really very little good about the isaiah thomas era but i think the thing that differentiates him from the phil jackson era is he at least left the knicks with something on his way out that was useful such as david lee yeah the David Lee pick was incredible. That 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 is that almost single handedly swung me not taking Isaiah Thomas um, at that spot. Um, and then I I just I didn't I was thinking back on his track record. I mean, to your point, Robinson, Ariza, Chandler, like there's just a lot of like just beloved players of my childhood there. And it kind of I, I kind of got a warm feeling, Alex, as you which which I never thought I would associate with Isaiah Thomas when you're going through that. I was like, all right, like these are like those teams were never great, but there were a bunch of guys that helped me fall in love with basketball there that like, and, and kind of made me appreciate some of the, the subtleties of the game. Like whether it was Channing Fry's like perimeter shooting, whether it was Lee banging inside Robinson flying through the air, Reza, even though he, he barely lasted on the Knicks doing some good role player stuff. Uh, yeah. All right. So now I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in a bind here because I am debating um, Steve Mills uh, versus uh, Donnie Walsh. And I feel like Steve Mills, on the whole was much steadier and just didn't do anything like that consequential one way or another. But David Fisdale is almost so unforgivable that I'm, I'm almost prepared to take him anyways, um, despite that. Um, but I, I think I'm going to go. Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go Steve Mills here, um, who, who did some good stuff for the Knicks. Um, like the Chris Stapps Porzingis trade has obviously aged really, really well. Um, for the most part, it got the Knicks Emmanuel quickly. It got the Knicks Derek Rose, um, via, uh, acquiring Dennis Smith Jr. Um, it also, uh, has them with the Dallas Mavericks draft pick this year, which could turn into someone very, very good. And then I would make that trade like look even better. 
Um, you know what? I'm talking myself out of it. Last second pivot. I'm going. I'm going Tony Walsh. Um, there was some like he did. He did some decent stuff as I'm as I'm talking it out. Um, and then Donnie, like in my mind, like his his tenure wasn't like was pretty good, but the mellow trade just so like thoroughly like undid a lot of the good stuff that like I like him drafting Danilo Gallinari. Um, bringing in um I'm pretty sure yeah because he brought in Raymond Felton for that first run with Amari Stoudemire like that was even I mean obviously it only ended up being two years before 12-13 but that was like the first Knicks team of my life like the first 40 games of the year that I feel like I felt like you could guilt-free fall in love with and then he just blew it up because he didn't he didn't want to like wait on Carmelo Anthony and like maybe there's a world where Melo gets dealt to Brooklyn and and stays there and and ultimately like given what happened with him on the Knicks like maybe that would have been fine like I don't know. Like the Knicks just finally had a likable young team and then it was kind of crushed. And then you also noted here that, um, that um, he telegraphed that the Knicks wanted Steph Curry. Um, I don't know. You can, you can correct me on this. Um, I think the bigger sin there is that like, he didn't find a way if he was that in love with Steph to trade up and get him. And like, obviously in retrospect, you'd say, Oh, give five first round picks for him. And like Steph wasn't that sure of a thing at the time. But if you're really in love with a player and like you had to give him a future first to like to go get that guy and you thought he was going to be a key piece, they should have done it because I, I think it's a little bit of revisionist history to say like, oh, like the Knicks could have gotten him because the, the whole thing at the time, it wasn't even just that the Warriors like eventually became enamored with him. It was that the Suns and Steve Kerr were going to trade for him and they were going to trade Amari Stoudemire for him. So I think if the Warriors didn't get him, the Suns would have traded up for him, but the Knicks could have traded up even higher and potentially had gotten him. So that that is certainly a big time L. In retrospect, and then he got Amari Stoudemire, but to your point, did not get insurance on that contract. Um, and ultimately, as we saw, like this, this is a repeated pattern with the Knicks in the 2000s. Like, like he was, it was kind of a bag of, of false goods with Amari, just because his health issues were were tragically so severe. Because again, the first 40 games of that, it looked uh, not 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 to put bad juju on on our guy Jalen, but it it was it's very similar to what we're seeing from Jalen Brunson now, where this guy just came in and, and became the face of the team. Yeah, I ultimately Donnie is not high on my list of of like former like I think that we'll get to him in a minute, but like Glenn, Glenn Grunwald of that era was way, way better than Donnie Walsh. He kind of like cleaned up a lot of Donnie Walsh's messes because I thought that Donnie Walsh did not do a good job. Like I, I I'll just quickly give my two cents on a couple of the things there. Like I think that he went way too scorched earth trying to clear the Isaiah era to get ready for LeBron. And yet in the process, then just basically like from the second that he took over, the Knicks was just like fire sale, except for we're not going to actually ask for value. It would be like if Danny Ainge went to the jazz and was like, you know, oh, well, I'm ready to move on. So like here, Donovan Mitchell for like one first round pick, whatever, or like Donovan Mitchell for just like a couple role players here. I just want him off the team. I want to start fresh, you know, and get ready for the new era. And like here, Rudy Gobert for, you know, whatever, like a couple role players, you know, it's like that was what he did with like actually talented players on the Knicks. Like the only good remnants of the Isaiah era, like Zach Randolph, who was still very talented, like uh, Jamal Crawford, who was very talented. He was just like, here, anybody who wants them take it. It was like, he put a free sign on them and left them by the curb, you know? And it was just terrible. Um, So that was one thing, the mellow trade, he like totally folded and gave the nuggets, whatever they wanted. And you could say that that was Dolan all you want or whatever. But the fact is he signed his name on the deal in the end and so that was ultimately him uh that did that and yeah i think that the other thing with the steph curry situation was that 
on top of telegraphing it so much and making it so public that the Knicks wanted Curry, he then completely panicked and was clearly unprepared when the team ahead of the Knicks were like, oh, I wonder why they want this guy so bad and took him. And then was like, oh, crap, we have no contingency and took Jordan Hill when, and I mean, this is not revisionist history. DeMar DeRozan and, and Brandon Jennings especially were way better prospects on the board right there, ready to be taken. Brandon Jennings was very much viewed as like, you know, a great consolation prize for if you didn't get Steph Curry or whatever. And actually it was surprising that Jennings had even fallen as far as he did at that point, uh, based off where he was projected to go prior to that draft. Like it was, he could have taken either of them. And even for how Brandon Jennings career ultimately went, like his first few years in the league, that would have looked amazing. And probably he could have been the centerpiece of the mellow trade uh, later on. And, and you wouldn't have had to, you know, do all these crazy machinations that you wound up having to do. But, Anyway, yeah, Donnie Walsh was no good. And you you talked about a bunch of the other reasons too. So I'll move to Steve Mills. I mean, I think that his tenure was okay. Like, obviously, like you said, we've seen some things that he did that are still paying dividends for the Knicks. The the KP trade, ultimately, I think is going to be the biggest thing that defines his era. And we're still seeing that pay out. Like, they have the Knicks have another draft pick this year. Um couple other good things that he did the tim hardaway deal i mean i know that's polarizing but i think it wasn't it wasn't perfect but it wasn't bad either like he ultimately was a pretty good player given the amount of money that he was paid especially considering when that deal was handed out like right after the cap spike and everything everybody was giving out crazy money and yet tim hardaway has been given that same deal like two more times now um since that time so i mean obviously that's just kind of his value as an NBA player, the mellow trade seemed kind of underwhelming at the time, but ultimately got them Mitch. And then obviously he drafted Mitch, which is great. Uh, it found Alonzo Trier as an undrafted free agent, which for all of his flaws, that guy dropped 30 plus multiple times as a rookie. Like that was a really good find at the time. And there's, there's no doubting that and had a surprisingly solid 2019 free agency class that just kind of took another year to find its footing uh, with Julius Randall, Reggie Bullock, Taj Gibson, Bobby Portis, TBD with him drafted RJ before Darius Garland. And that's not revisionist history. Like they were actually considering Darius Garland. Uh, we'll see how that ends up working out in the end. Missed on KD and Kyrie. You noted in here, Gavin. And you know, that's sort of another TBD. I think that's probably for the best at this point. <laughs> so I'd almost put that in the positive, even though it was a strikeout at the time. Um, but then the bad stuff, David Fisdale was just a horrible coach and they held on to him for too long. Somehow, even though they only gave him a season and a quarter or whatever, they still somehow held on to him for too long. Uh, Ron Baker's contract will always be a, a thorn in my side. I hated that deal. It was so stupid. They gave him like $5 million a year when he was a veteran minimum player and gave him a no-trade clause, which was absolutely insane, and a player option that he, of course, picked up because Ron Baker was never going to get paid $5 million ever in his career again. Um, they made the Emmanuel Moutier deal, which was a very low – investment but ultimately the time investment that they gave to Emmanuel Moutier over a guy that they had drafted and Frank Nilakino was really stupid uh, and then of course took Kevin Knox in the 2018 draft ahead of Macau Bridges, Miles Bridges and Shea Gilgis-Alexander amongst others uh, also not a great move so yeah Steve Mills a, a, a up and down history but Gavin I, I think that sends us along to our final two guys and, and these last two I think left a good legacy with the Knicks in the end 
Yeah, this is it, it's pretty interesting now that we're we're at the high end of this. We have uh, Glenn Grunwald and of course uh, our, our beloved, uh, even though he won't he won't talk to the media, Alex uh, Leon Rose. Um, I think I think I'm going to go Leon here, which is it, it it feels weird doing that because Leon it it feels like he's done so much more than Glenn Grunwald did, and. Almost that there's more nuance to his moves and there's more thought and like it's clear just the resources that Leon has like like I, I don't think Glenn, Glenn Grunwald had the equivalent of a Brock Aller on that staff and and the Knicks have leveraged that brilliantly at points with the way like they've procured second round picks and the way they've made moves on the margins and of course uh, Jalen Brunson but I just feel like a lot of like what Grunwald did was was pretty. Oh wait, I forgot. I forgot we're drafting. We're drafting bad first. All right, but I, whatever. I'll stick with Grunwald. Um, because as you noted, and I, I didn't, uh, I forgot about till now. Um, Grunwald was also the architect of the Barnyani trade, which, which is is kind of like the sour pill that just does not exist in Leon's tenure. Like, I mean, you could you could argue Alfred Payton starting for a full year was bad, but man, there was nothing that Barnyani trade. Oh God, I I completely forgot about that. Um, okay, but the good for Grunwald. Um, he got Tyson Chandler as his first major move, which, which just catapulted the Knicks, right? More than anything else, having Chandler to anchor the defense the same way Melo did on offense is what turned that team into a 54-win team and, and the most beloved Knicks team, at, at least Alex, of your and I's living memory. Um, well, I guess for you, you have 99, but uh, for me, certainly, the most beloved team of all time, bringing in Steve Novak, Jeremy Lin, which of course is an incredible move, J.R. Smith. Kenyon Martin, um, Marcus Camby, and Kurt Thomas were were in their like early 60s at that point, but somehow <laughs> still contributed on those teams. Um, drafted uh, THJ, drafted Shumpert. Oh man, dude, early Shumpert. I mean, I, I not not quite in the same way, but he's there with Chris Stapps and like a guy like if he hadn't gotten hurt, like I, I just think like. I mean, maybe still would be in the league, but certainly for his first five, six years, like the level of athleticism he has, people forget what early Amon Shumpert was like. That guy, like in my mind, like it, it was kind of um, the RJ thing a little bit, but almost almost more exciting in that, like, oh, if he ever gets his jumper down, he's he's an all-star is, is what it felt like to me. And maybe maybe I was over-exuberant in my uh, high school youth, but man, oh man, I loved Amon Shumpert. But yeah, kind of a, sim- Glenn Grunwald was like similar to Steve Mills to your point, like the high highs, like, low lows but i i think i, I mean when, when you compare him to mills like there's just nothing like that 12 13 team um that he put together yeah it was uh, you know what i may have accidentally attributed shumper to him as well apparently that was donnie walsh but whatever oh, got it. It, he empowered he empowered uh Shumpert <laughs> throughout his career yeah i think grunwald was largely up until the barniani deal and then after that, the not making the Lowry deal, which both those things apparently were Dolan, which I think was why Grunwald eventually his tenure ended in a resignation, I think, rather than like an outright firing, if I remember correctly. Um, both those things were not fantastic. But also, I mean, just the high high for him was the 12-13 season. The low low was architecting that 13-14 season, which was like one of the biggest disappointments of uh, my Knicks life at that point, which gives Leon Rose the top spot, which I'm glad I'm glad ultimately whether you meant to do it or not, that Leon Rose ends up number one here, because I think that he has done the best so far. I mean, Jalen Brunson, I think is, I mean, you put one of the better signings of the league of the league in general in the last five years. And I agree. And I also think he's maybe the best Knicks signing of the modern era, like 
period, you know, of, of from 2000 and now, and probably you can date back into the Ewing years, you know, as far as just pure signings go, um, especially as like a free agent that wasn't traded for and then re-signed. He's, he's just a, a fantastic pickup by them. Um, he's drafted really, really well with Grimes, Quickly, Deuce, Jericho, um, Rokas Jokobitis potentially when he comes over. Like, we'll see how that works out. But that, you know, he's killing it in Europe. So, like, the draft record has been pretty spotless in the late first round. Uh, he didn't trade Randall, which is a good thing. You know, ultimately, like, we would have traded Randall a couple times <laughs> over the last few years, and he didn't and saw it through, and it's worked out really well. Um, and then he signed Tom Thibodeau and then also has kept Tom Thibodeau, uh, as the coach, which is working out pretty well this year. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's done pretty well. Uh, you know, the, the, you put in the too early to tell like the TBD section, the Donovan Mitchell deal didn't ultimately pull the trigger on that. We'll see how that works out. Um, you know, missed on a couple other opportunities where he could have traded up, also traded out of this past year's draft, which is still too early to tell. You know, there's a couple of players he could have taken there that seem pretty decent this year. Um, but as far as the bad, it's like you got to I feel like you got to get pretty nitpicky because this team has really turned things around in a big way since he's come. Uh, you know, the, the Cam Reddish thing, not fantastic use of assets. You know, it's like. But then ultimately, if Josh Hart winds up really swinging what the Knicks do the rest of this year, maybe you say, you know, what, even if it was nominally two first round picks, it was worth it. Um, Alfred Payton existed and was able to still start another season under Leon Rose and under Tibbs. That should have never been able to happen. Uh, the Kemba situation and Evan Fournier, uh, not fantastic. But in the end, they've kind of they've been quick to. It, under Leon, I think the Knicks have been quick to admit their mistakes and correct them mm -hmm. and have done a good job of making moves around the margins to have picks, like a ton of second round picks at any given time, stuff like that to sort of quickly like take the eraser to a move and, you know, scratch it out real quick and, and write someone else's name in. So I've liked the Leon Rose, you know, the, the Leon Rose tenure so far and the Knicks, I think, are set up really well for the future and and probably the best that they've been set up for the future in quite some time. And we'll see how it all works out. But I think if the Knicks become a, a consistent playoff team and Brunson has a great career with them and Randall finishes career, his career in New York or something and, you know, things work out really good. I think in the end, if we do this again in five years, we'll be talking about Leon Rose and, and how his tenure has been easily the best one of our lifetimes. Yeah, and I think it's fascinating because he's he's succeeding, but not in the way he was supposed to be succeeding, right? Because he was he was nominally like another swing at all right. This is going to be the guy who brings a star to New York, right? CAA, we're going to get Booker, we're going to get Embiid, Towns is going to be in here, on and on and on, right? And and none of, none of those guys have have made their way to New York, and yet despite that, they've won on the margins, right? Late first round picks, Emmanuel quickly, you get maybe the sixth man of the year, Quinn Grimes, you get a guy who could be a starter for the Knicks for a decade plus. That 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 is those are outlier results with the 25th pick in the draft. You are lucky if you get a guy who plays four years in the NBA with the 25th pick in the draft. And, and the Knicks hit, um, if not two home runs, two triples um, at those two spots. So that, like, I, I think that cannot be underrated. And then we can look at the Jalen Brunson thing, right? And th this was a guy who was just not valued properly by the rest of the league. 
incredibly was not valued properly by the team he spent his whole career on. And Leon Rose, like, like they're sure there were connections there, like a, a million of them. And, and the Knicks had every advantage, but he executed, he got Brunson to New York and Brunson's been incredible. And, and again, the faith in Randall, like we, we would have dealt him. Like he he's just, he's made um, more good decisions than bad. And just a couple of truly exceptional ones. And, and you can't really point to one that has been incredibly damaging with Alex. It's like we just went through the whole list. Like pretty much every other guy has one just awful decision on their ledger. And for Rose, I mean, keep f- fingers crossed, like whatever, whatever your, your lucky charm is, like go, go grab it. Um, and it hasn't happened yet. So that I think that makes him a clear cut number one. Yep, absolutely. And uh, I think we can end this show on that happy note. So. Uh, happy President's Day. I hope you enjoyed this President's Ranking. Uh, but we'll have more shows coming up for you guys, including uh, getting into your mailbag questions, which if you have any mailbag questions and you haven't submitted them yet, feel free to hit us up on Twitter or YouTube comments, wherever you want. Uh, and until next time, thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Peace out. <laughs>